You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Oftentimes, as I'm beginning, I make the statement, it's a great day to have a great day. And so today I'm going to say, it is a great day to have a great day. Do you believe that? Today is no ordinary day. In fact, it's an extraordinary day to have a great day as we celebrate the greatest victory story in the history of mankind. I mean, the greatest victory story. We've all come together this morning to celebrate that victory story. I think that everybody loves a great victory story. Am I right? Just like to hear a great reversal story where a failure has been turned around. So with that in mind, this past week, I just took a little time to do a little research and dug up what I think are some notable um, uh, reversal stories, uh, comeback stories, victory stories. And and here's what I found. There's about five that I want to share with you. Um, Do you know Walt Disney's story? Many of you do probably. Uh, Walt Disney's very first boss told him that he lacked imagination and that he did not have good ideas. Can you believe that? His passion for animation caused him to continue to push through until finally one day he animated this little mouse that we know as Mickey Mouse. And um, today, because of that little mouse, this is the victory story for Walt Disney. The Disney empire is worth $85 billion. Can you believe that? Just because of a little mouse. Um, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, in case you didn't know it, was a college dropout. Um, He was actually kicked out of his first company. Uh, But because he was determined to produce the products that he knew could be produced, he never lost sight of his vision. And he actually revived Apple from bankruptcy. And I'll just say this. I'm sure that Apple is very well represented in this room today, right? Um. About five years before the most popular, one of the most popular novels of the 21st century was written, J.K. Rowling was actually living on welfare. The first Harry Potter manuscript was rejected 12 times. Get that, 12 times. And when the book was finally published, she was told, keep your day job because the chances of success are very slim. Today, here's her victory story, more than 450 million Harry Potter books have been published and sold. That's quite a story, isn't it? Um, Here's another one. As a 5'11 aspiring sophomore, Michael Jordan was rejected from his varsity team. He took that rejection, he took that failure, I guess you would say, and he turned it around to lead the Chicago Bulls to six NBA championships. That's Michael Jordan's victory. Somebody on the front row just clap a little bit. (laughs) And then finally, um, what is being deemed, I suppose, uh, as the greatest reversal, greatest comeback, uh, greatest victory story in sports history happened last weekend. Right? Somebody said, amen. (laughs) It happened as Tiger Woods in Augusta, Georgia, took the Masters. I mean, let's think about his story for a moment. Um, In 2016, Tiger Woods dropped out of being ranked one of the top 500 golfers in the United States. 
And by 18 months later, he was no longer considered to be one of the top 1,000 golfers in the United States. And then after healing from a, a spinal fusion in 2018, he became competitive again, entered his first uh, uh, tournament and uh, took home his first tournament win in more than five years. And then last weekend, back where it all started in Augusta, Georgia, Tiger Woods takes the Masters. That is an incredible victory story, don't you believe? But here's what I would say. As awe-inspiring as every one of those stories are, stories of reversal, stories of comeback, stories of victory, not one of those stories can be deemed as the greatest victory story in the history of mankind. Thank you, Cotton. Not one of those stories. There's only one such story, and that's the story of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Lord and Savior. Here's a summary of his story. Um, He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. Um, He's not dead. He has risen just as he said. The resurrection has happened. And because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ has overcome the power of sin and death. And because he's overcome the power of sin and death, this applies to us that you and I have forgiveness of our sins and we have eternal life. Not only do we have eternal life, but we have full life. We have abundant life. We have new life through Jesus Christ. This is the victory story. This is our victory story. This is something to be excited about. Something to be stirred inside when we consider that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. The the, the resurrection is not some uh, alleged mythical story or event in church history. The resurrection is actually the foundation of Christianity. Without the resurrection, Christianity would not exist. The resurrection has elevated Christianity above every other world religion. All other world religions are based on a belief that finds fulfillment through a little G God who is dead. In Christianity, we find fulfillment through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He has risen just as he said he would. Uh, The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read to just one short verse. uh, Chapter 15, verse 17. He gives affirmation to the fact that the, the resurrection is the foundation of Christianity. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Here's the good news. Christ has been raised, so it's not futile and we are not still in our sins. Again, the resurrection is the foundation for everything that we believe. The resurrection is the foundation for the Christian faith. It's the foundation for the church. We can't not believe that. But what about the skeptics? What about those who doubt the resurrection? What about those who question the empty tomb? And if you think about it, how can we know that the empty tomb, that the resurrection is not just some fabricated story? 
there's so much that has been written, so much research that has been done, and there's no way that I can begin to download all that has been compiled, giving validity to the proof of the resurrection. But I can share just a couple of thoughts with you this morning. The first comes from uh, a Christian apologist. His name is Josh McDowell. Um, Josh McDowell, some years ago, many years ago, wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And here's what he said about the resurrection. Listen to this. He says, after more than 700 hours of study on this subject, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus is either one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes hoisted on the minds of human beings, or it is the most remarkable fact of history. And his belief is that it is the most remarkable fact of history. He goes on to say this, Jesus of Nazareth, a Jewish prophet who claimed to be the Christ prophesied in the Jewish script, uh, uh, prophesied in the Jewish scriptures was uh, 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 arrested, uh, was uh, was judged a political criminal and was crucified. Three days after his death and burial, some women who went to the tomb found his body gone. In subsequent weeks, his disciples claimed that God had raised him from the dead and that he appeared to them various times before ascending into heaven. And from that foundation, Christianity spread through the Roman Empire and continued to exert great influence throughout the world down through the centuries. It's possible that some skeptics might say, but all of those facts come from the Bible. How can we even trust that the Bible is true, that the Bible is accurate. There are many answers to that. One answer is this. Archaeologists have affirmed through their own finds the accuracy of the New Testament. We can believe that what the New Testament says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. It is accurate. But maybe someone is still skeptical. And to that I would say that the Bible tells us that there were more than 500 eyewitnesses who saw him after his resurrection. And then I would present, what about the changed lives of the disciples after his resurrection? After the resurrection, the disciples uh, were willing to go anywhere they could and by whatever means they could declare the resurrection story of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. You know what their reward was for doing that? You see, every possible means was used to keep them from proclaiming the story. Their reward for doing this was that they were stoned, they were beaten, they were tortured, they were thrown to the lions, they were crucified. And yet nothing stopped them from telling this story of the risen Savior. Because they were confident, they were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They had seen him after his death with their own eyes. They had seen him on the cross. They saw him die and then they saw him afterwards. They were eyewitnesses and they were willing to give their lives because of the resurrection. One of the uh, eyewitnesses that uh, truly had a life change was Peter. I'd like for you to take your Bibles, uh, if you have one with you, or you can go on your phones if you have uh, the the Bible Gateway app. If you would turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read it to you so you just follow along. I'm going to read somewhat of a lengthy passage. I'm going to begin in verse 22. And I'm going to read through verse 33. It's on the day of Pentecost, and Peter is giving his eyewitness account uh, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as he preaches. Beginning in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter's story was the great reversal story. He was telling the story of the great reverse. In this story, man had a plan, but God trumped it. Man's plan was to put Jesus to death on the cross once and for all, to end all of the stuff that they saw that he was doing and they didn't like. But God trumped their plan through the empty grave. God trumped their plan through the resurrection. Satan had a strategy. And God defeated it. Satan's strategy was death. Death not only for Jesus, but death for all mankind because of their sin. And God defeated it. How did he defeat it? He defeated it through the empty tomb. He defeated it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what seemed like an end, God reversed it permanently because guess what? The tomb is still empty today. Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and Savior. That's the victory that we're talking about. That's the victory that excites us. That's the victory that we celebrate. But when we talk about this empty tomb, when we talk about the resurrection, what does the resurrection actually mean for you and I? So today... And we come to church and we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that happened some 2,000 years ago. But what about us today? What does that mean? How do we take that and how do we apply that to our lives? Uh, I want to tell you, what does it mean? It means everything. It literally means everything because it's our foundation. The empty tomb proves that God can take our tragedies and turn them into triumph. God can take our tragedies and turn them into triumph. Um, if we were to take time right now and we read in John, the gospel of John chapter 20, we would read about, um, Peter and John going to the tomb, finding it empty, looking in and then going in. And as they went in, one of the things that they saw were the grave clothes that Jesus had worn. When they looked at those grave clothes, they could have seen them as a symbol of tragedy. 
But because the tomb was empty, instead they saw them as an instrument of triumph because Jesus Christ was not in the grave. I think for all of us, um, at some point in our life, there is something that has occurred or will that causes us to have symbols of tragedy in our lives. And a symbol of tragedy can be different for every single person in this room based on what kind of tragedy, what kind of situation, what kind of challenge that you've uh, experienced in in your life. Uh, Jesus told the disciples not long before he was crucified, you will have trouble in this world. And I think we can all testify to that. You know, life's not just a breeze every day. We will have trouble. So we all have these symbols of tragedy. I want to just tell you a personal story really quick to illustrate that God can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. Um, I carry with me uh, what could be noted as a symbol of tragedy 24-7 on my body. And it's this little thing right here that's implanted under my skin, and it's called a pacemaker. And it's, I'm always aware that it's there. And so I could see it through the perspective as a symbol of tragedy. Because two years ago, uh, about 23 months ago, actually, as many of you have heard this story, I was diagnosed as being in extreme heart failure. And really, the outlook was pretty bleak. Um, I was a very sick man. I'm not going to fill in all of the gaps in between except to say that we believed God for a miracle. We were holding on. We were contending to God. So I'm going to fast forward you. 23 months later, uh, two weeks ago, I had gone to the doctor for uh, uh, just a follow-up for some, some tests that I had had. And as the doctor was going over the results with me, he was a cardiologist, he looked at me and he said, your heart completely recovered. Now, let me tell you, two years ago, I had a doctor say, your heart will never fully recover. And now I'm in a doctor's office and he said, your heart fully recovered. And so suddenly this little device under my skin, it's not a it's not a symbol of tragedy, but it reminds me of God being able to triumph in every situation. And I don't know what your symbol of tragedy might be, but I want you to know that God wants you to begin to look at it and and see his triumph, that he can take that tragedy and he can turn it into something really, really incredible. Um, The empty tomb proves that God can take impossibilities and turn them into places of opportunity. God can take impossibilities and turn them into places of opportunities. Um, successfully navigating the impossibilities of life, I believe, is a matter of um, uh, perspective and a matter of choice. Um, When we feel like life has placed us in a box and there is no way out, we can choose to look at the walls and the ceiling of that box through uh, the perspective of impossibility. Or we can choose to look at the walls and the ceilings of that box and choose to look at it through the perspective of opportunity. Uh, When we choose the perspective of impossibility, it begins to rob us of our hope. 
But when we choose to look at it through the perspective of opportunity, here's what happens. And through opportunity, we say, I'm going to embrace this thing. I'm going to embrace the limitations and I'm going to allow God to use it to cause me to grow, grow personally and grow in him. It's a matter of changing focus. And I want you to hear the story of one man who has is walking through this currently and has learned the power of changing focus. My name is Luke, and I find myself living in the middle of a miracle. Uh, Last summer, I went to my doctor, Dr. Michael Thomas, just a routine over 50 checkup. He found something that he was concerned about. He was concerned about some some masses in my stomach, and uh, I tried to convince him that they were just the tacos I had eaten the night before. He didn't go for that. He insisted that I get it tested, and uh, on July 9th, 2018, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So when we were diagnosed, we decided to fight. So we gave our the tumors a name, the belly bully, and we decided that we were going to, to beat him up. And uh, we, we cried, and we prayed, and we cried more. And I didn't ask why. I didn't ask why, because why is a question that is quicksand. It just, just leaves you sinking in a million other questions. So I asked God, what, what now? Okay, we're dealing with this. What do we do, Lord? And uh, he just said, show them how to fight with joy. Show the people how to fight with joy. So that's what I've been trying to do. I didn't know how hard that would be. But I also, uh, I've come to realize that uh, it's just a, a matter of Just focusing, changing your focus and realizing and just the way I live and and what I choose to focus on, what I choose to talk about. There's joy in the little things. There's joy in my granddaughter's giggle. There's joy in in a cup of soup. There's joy in the little things. Uh, but, But the ultimate joy comes through Christ. And you just help people see that. You help people find their joy wherever they can find it until they can find it in the arms of, of their, their Heavenly Father. That's the wild thing is, is just sitting in the infusion chair. Uh, you meet a lot of people and they're all hurting and they're all suffering. And uh, you just try to give them hope. You just try to let them know that they are not the disease. Don't let it define them, that that they are loved. And even in the midst of all of it, even in the midst of all the pain, there is joy and there is great hope and there is a reason to keep fighting. For those of you who may not know, Luke is our middle school pastor at our Cornelius campus. And currently he is in the fight literally for his life. But in the midst of that, he has made a change of focus. And he's chosen to find joy. Rather than looking at cancer as a limitation, he said, I will find joy. 
in the midst of this. I had the opportunity on Friday to sit by Luke's bedside at the hospital. And um, even having heard the news that, Luke, you're in the final stages of your life, Luke was an encouragement to me. Luke still was able to find joy. One of the greatest things that I heard Luke say is, I haven't asked the question, why? Because why is like quicksand. We don't need to get caught up in the quicksand. This morning, I want us to pray for Luke because uh, Pastor Luke needs a miracle. And in the near future, he's going to experience a miracle. And the miracle is either going to be that the healing power of Jesus Christ sets his body free or that through the miracle of eternal life, he will experience healing in the presence of his heavenly father. And here's the deal. Either's good. Either's fine because it, it's a it's a win win all the way around. But this morning as a church family, I just want us to pray for him. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, I thank you that you are such a good, good father. And I thank you that you are with Pastor Luke right now. And Father God, we're not afraid to ask, even in the midst of not very great news over the past few days, to ask you to touch his body and heal him and set him free. Set him free from cancer. God, we know you can. And so we contend right now. But also we, uh, we know that you are the one who assigns the days of life to each one of us. And the greater miracle might be that you call him to be with you. And we're good. They're good. They spoke those words to me on Friday. But Lord, we just ask that you would provide everything that they have need of. And we thank you for the testimony of finding joy in the impossibility. We pray that you would meet every need that they have. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I just want to say, even in the midst of that kind of news, Jesus Christ is still the risen Savior. We can still rejoice. Let me keep on going. Um, I'll try. Uh, The empty tomb proves that God can take what others meant for harm Ah, and turn it to good. In um, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Uh, Peter declared uh, there were wicked men who had deliberate intent to harm Jesus Christ. And God took their deliberate intent, putting him to death on the cross. They took it. God took that intent. He took that death and he turned it into something good. And the good is that we as human beings, we as mankind have salvation, forgiveness of our sin. The world experienced goodness because of what these evil men intended, the harm for Jesus Christ. Um, There will be times in your life. There have been times in my life where we feel like hell has literally been assigned against us. And guess what? It actually really has. Just think about it. It has. Uh, But in those situations, hell will never prosper. Hell will never win. Instead, 
The victory has already been won because the tomb is empty. And God will take those situations, whatever they might be in your life, and will turn it into something good. It doesn't always happen immediately. It took two years, a two-year process for me to experience healing in my heart. But guess what? My heart fully recovered. God is a God who takes those things and turns them into something good. Finally, um, the empty tomb proves that God can take death and turn it into life. God can take death and turn it into life. I'm sure that there was a great celebration um, on that Friday when the religious leaders and the others around uh, saw Jesus dead on the cross. And I'm sure that there was some kind of victory celebration that they began to have. But guess what? Their victory celebration did not last very long. Because on Sunday morning, news began to travel. And it first came through the voices of the women who said, We went to the tomb. He's not there. It's just like he said. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive. Jesus is alive. And the news began to spread everywhere that Jesus Christ, who had been crucified on Friday, was not in the tomb. He was alive. This is the victory that we celebrate today. They never found him in the tomb. Instead, 500 eyewitnesses saw him. Jesus Christ is alive. This is our victory. This is our victory. This is the victory that we celebrate today. I said earlier, the resurrection is the foundation of everything that we believe is, is in Christianity. Without the resurrection, Christianity would not exist. Um, for us personally, because of the resurrection, uh, Christianity, uh, the resurrection uh, is, uh, is our foundation. It's what we stand on. But for the skeptics, and maybe there are skeptics here in the room today, I don't know. But for the skeptics, the skeptics, uh, what happens is through their skepticism, they attempt to rob the resurrection of its power simply because they say, I don't, I don't believe it's true. But here's the deal. It is impossible to rob the resurrection of its power. It cannot happen because the resurrection did occur and death and sin have been defeated. That's just the way it is. I started to say like it or not, but I like it. <laughs> Skeptic, like it or not. Um, the problem with skepticism is it places a person on a faulty foundation. You can't trust doubt. It's like shifting sand. But when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. We can always count on Him. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never let us down. We can always trust that He's there for everything we have need of. Now, this morning, I recognize that Many of you are here today because you believe, maybe most of you, uh, you believe in the resurrection and you came to celebrate today. And there may be some who are here today and you're here because someone invited you or someone drug you to church. And you're just trying to say, Mom, I hope you're pleased now. <laughs> um, but maybe in the midst of the message, not me, but the Holy Spirit might have been dealing with your heart. There's something you feel inside. There's an emotion that's welling up. 
and you're saying, you know, maybe there's something to this. Maybe Jesus really is real and maybe he really is alive. And I think I want to do something about that. And I want to give you the opportunity. In a moment, I'm going to have everyone bow their heads. And we're going to pray a simple prayer together. And it's a prayer of invitation. And most in this room will have prayed it before. But maybe there's just one person who has never asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And today, when you pray this prayer, you're actually praying it as an invitation. You're saying, Jesus, come into my heart. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe you died for me. And I believe in the resurrection. I believe that I can have new life. Listen, what happens is when we invite Jesus in, we get to start life all over. We get to do a do-over. And I love do-overs. We're new creations in Christ. And maybe you're thinking, I don't like how life is going right now. You could start all over. So would you bow your heads and would you just pray this after me? Heavenly Father, today I confess that I have a great need. I need a Savior because I'm lost. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place on the cross. I believe that you were buried. And I believe that three days later you rose up from the grave. And I believe you did it for me. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I choose you. I'm crossing over to your kingdom today. In Jesus' name I pray. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you made that decision today, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to congratulate you. And here's how we can do that. In just a moment, uh, I'm going to ask you if you pray that prayer for the first time minute that you would just raise your hand and let your eyes catch my eyes. And I just want to I just want to congratulate you. So is there anybody here in the room today and you say, yes, I prayed that prayer today. I just asked Jesus Christ into my heart as Savior. If so, would you just lift up your hand? Is there anybody here in the room today? Anybody at all? Father, thank you. Thank you for great salvation in this room. I thank you that you are at work in our hearts right now, leading us, guiding us, and changing us. And so we continue to celebrate the resurrection. Father God, we have victory through you. And so with that, we say amen and amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.